I was preaching, I, I tried this and it went over really well, so we're going to keep doing it. Uh, I want us to stand to hear a word from God, stand to hear scripture. And so the scripture we're going to hear this morning, 2 Timothy 3.16, says this, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You can be seated. That was great, wasn't it? I love that exercise. I'll stand up anyway. Church, do you ever have one of those weeks that's just a little weird? It just kind of goes off the hinges, just kind of goes in certain directions that you would never plan for? Like this past week, I got this planner. This, uh, I want to be very organized in what I'm doing. And I wrote down the things that I was trying to accomplish this week. And so I write those things down. But nowhere in that planner did I put this. This was the week where I was going to become very interested in Adele. Yeah. So this is the week that I decided, you know what, I'm going to look up Adele. And I don't have no idea why. I'm not really that into her music. It's not that. But I heard something on the radio this week that caught my attention that I thought was just fascinating. Adele has three studio albums, and so those three albums have really interesting names. The first album was 19, second album was 21, and the third album was 25. And the reason that she created those albums and the reason that she labeled those albums the way that she did is because the music that she wrote and saying when she was 19 was coming from a place of, of this person who had grown up in this particular situation. And the music that she wrote when she was 25 was coming from this place of having huge success and, and all these different things going on in her life. And, and at each age, things changed. At each age, things were different. And the songs that she would write in the beginning weren't the songs that she would write in the end. And I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was brilliant. And so what I did is I decided this week what I would do is share in my mind what I would use if I was creating albums or something. If I was to categorize my life in that timeline, what would I use? And so I'm going to give you a rare glimpse into just how nerdy my mind is. Yeah, this is going to sound a lot better about me than it actually is. But the thing that I would use to categorize my life if I was going in order would be my Bibles. And so I have my stack of Bibles up here, and I'm going to share with you this timeline, how these Bibles fit in this timeline. So when I was 14, I was given this NIV study Bible. And I know a lot of you have had this Bible, a lot of you have used this Bible. You can see the duct tape, you can see that it's actually falling out. This is a Bible that is well worn. And apparently, one of the things that we would do at church camp is write notes to each other in our Bibles. And so I was going through this as I was at camp last week or two weeks ago, and I was noticing, oh, that's from that girl. Oh, that's from that friend. Oh, that's a really strange practice to write in somebody else's Bible. But that's what this Bible is to me. This Bible represents a very particular time frame in my life. Went to college. And once you go to college, and once you're taking Bible classes, you have to get a new Bible. That's just the rule. And so I got this new Oxford annotated Bible, which sounds really smart, 
really sophisticated, didn't know much about it. In fact, I wasn't that smart back then, so on it, on the bottom, I wrote big book. Again, no explanation, no idea why. I started learning Greek at some point, so I wrote agape at the top, which is probably the first Greek word you learn in college, so that was fun. But this Bible represents a very different time in my life, and as you can see, is falling a little bit apart, as my Bibles tend to do. When I was 22, I graduated from college, and Lindsay wanted to gift me with something, so she gifted me with this Bible, which is great. It has these margins where you can make notes. It's really beautiful. It's this nice leather. Probably spent a good deal of money on it. The problem is, I hate this translation. I just don't like it. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's probably the one you're using. <laughs> so that Bible doesn't get used very much. That's the Bible that just kind of sits there and looks real nice. And, you know, if I want to pull out and impress somebody, I'll do that. But it doesn't do a whole lot for me. When I turned uh, 25, I got this Bible. It's graduate school. You're going to graduate school. You've got to get a fancy Bible because you're going into a Bible degree. So this is what I had to have. This was actually hardcover at one point, uh, but as all my Bibles tend to do, especially the ones I use, it fell apart. Over the years, I've decided that this is the Bible I want to leave to Micah someday. Yeah, you're, you're thinking, aw, I know. This is the Bible I want to leave to Micah. So this Bible has all of my notes in it, and some of those notes are going to mess up his theology so bad <laughs> one of these days that, that I'm going to have to be very careful about when I give that to him. I love the Bible. This past year, I purchased The Message, which is a different Bible. All of those Bibles over here share something in common. They are all study Bibles. And, and in my mind, what I am very, very capable of doing is studying. I can dig into that stuff and just sit there for hours and hours and hours and learn and think and process and figure things out which is why I needed the message. You cannot study with this Bible, and that's what I needed. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I have found in my life that scripture has taught me a great deal. And I hope it has you. I hope you keep learning from scripture. That scripture has corrected some of my errors of judgment. And some of you are thinking it's important that you said some because we already know of some of your other errors in judgment. I get it. But adhering to the lessons I've learned in scripture leads me in paths of righteousness. But every time I read this passage, all of those things, yeah, that's true. And I kind of just brush those aside because it's that first part that just sticks out. All scripture is inspired by God. So as I was reading this passage this week, as I was thinking on this passage this week, the thing that kept coming up is inspired. What is it to be inspired? What does that look like? What does that mean? And so, of course, I start studying it, looking it up. And I go down this rabbit trail that's pretty interesting to me. Do you know what the word inspired means? Got some ideas. The word inspire means to breathe in. 
to breathe in, which makes sense because what does expire mean? To breathe out. Yeah, that's language. So fun. Inspire is to breathe in. And I started thinking about that and all the places in Scripture where you hear about God breathing in to things. Like in the story of Adam. Remember that story? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Man was God breathed. It's interesting. There's this song that's really popular on Christian radio right now called Great Are You, Lo- Great Are you Lord. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it for you. But the lyric goes like this. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. And it's beautiful. It is God's breath within us which gives us life. We come back to that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that says all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed. And so to say that scripture is God-breathed, what are we saying? What does that mean? And so over the years, I've had a couple of different ideas of what it means for scripture to be inspired. And these are terrible ideas. So do with them what you want. But my original idea for what it meant for scripture to be inspired, when somebody would ask me that and I was 10 years old, here was my idea. I would say, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead, and eventually Jesus ascended to heaven. And as the disciples were standing there watching Jesus ascend to heaven, they look up, they watch Jesus go, and they look down, and behold, there's the Bible. That was my original idea. That's not how the story goes. That's not what happens. In Acts, they look down, and all of a sudden, there's a couple of angels there, and they say, hey, go, go where Jesus told you to go. I had another idea of what it meant for Scripture to be inspired a while back. I had this idea in my head that, that when one of the authors of Scripture would sit down to write Scripture, what would happen is that they would enter some sort of a trance while holding a quill, And they would enter this trance, and and then they would wake up, and behold, there's scripture right in front of them. They had written it, but they didn't realize that's what they had done. But then you, you read the beginning of Luke which is a great gospel. And in the beginning of Luke, Luke says, I I, I did all this research to find an accurate telling of this story. I, I, I looked here, I looked there, and I wanted to find as much information as possible. Luke talks about how he has this meticulous study that he does to write this letter. That's interesting. It's not a not a trance. Thought about maybe it's maybe it's somebody sitting down to write and then God's whispering in their ear, hey, this is what scripture should say. So so just write what I tell you, write what I say. John's the only one that gets a divine revelation, though. Like when in 1 John or 3 John, when John's writing to this elect lady, he's not having some voice in his head that's telling him what to do. And so I want to do this. I want to make one controversial statement of the morning, and then we'll move on a little bit. But, But hear this. God 
didn't breathe on the Bible. God didn't breathe on the Bible. God breathed in the authors. God inspired the authors. And I think that's a really significant move to make. I think that's really, really important. In John chapter 20, verse 22, you get the story of Pentecost from John's perspective. And Jesus is there talking to his disciples, and he says this, or whatever he had said. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you remember in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes? Do you remember what the first thing that they hear is? Sound of rushing wind. This word for spirit that we use in, in Hebrew, it's the word ruach, which you kind of have to make a guttural sound. You kind of have to hawk a little bit. Ruach. Yeah, so. <laughs> there you go. See, you're learning something. What that word means is breath, is life, is spirit. All of those things are tied together in this beautiful word. And we believe that the Spirit of God was on the writers of these books. We believe that God was very active in the formation of these books. But we don't believe, I don't believe, that God was making them write anything. I don't believe God was coercing them to write anything. I don't believe that God was saying, hey, put yourself aside and just write what I tell you. I, I believe that they were full of God. And that changes things. So I say all of that, and now I want to make a hard left turn, okay? So this past week, we read this scripture, and I, I want us to read it again. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's a fantastic claim. And so Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. It's a beautiful testimony to who Jesus is. Peter, again, in Acts chapter 2, is up preaching to this group. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. They're standing out in front of all these people. People have mistakenly believed that they are drunk. But Peter gets up and he preaches this. And he concludes with this fantastic statement. He says, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Again, Peter has this beautiful testimony to who Jesus is. So for a moment, I want us just to consider, back to back, we have these passages where Peter makes the same claim. And what is the difference between these two passages? Well, the testimony is the same. But in Matthew, it is the Father who reveals this to Jesus. And in Acts, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're like me, but some of us like to have these hard theological categories that we use to define God. 
And it's really important for us to, to say God is this, God is not this. God is like this, God is not like this. And sometimes that's appropriate. But sometimes I think we take it too far. And while thinking and working through this idea of inspiration, one thing became incredibly clear to me is that we can't get overly concrete when we are talking about God, particularly when we're trying to separate God the Father from God the Spirit. Because as John teaches us, God is Spirit. So when Peter claims in Matthew and what Peter preaches in Acts 2 have the same point, and it's that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter's claim is beyond intellectual. He didn't get this truth because he studied Peter's claim is beyond experiential. He didn't experience enough, and all of a sudden he has this awareness. It's not that. Peter's claim is beyond emotional. It's not that that he's just in a really good mood and is finally able to say this thing. Peter's claim is beyond belief. The truth didn't come out because all of a sudden he had cast out all his doubts. Peter's claim has a divine origin. And the truth of that statement is found in God. Peter's claim is God-breathed. It is inspired. And church, when we hear that, I think it's really good to say, wow, look at Peter, that's so great. But then you kind of ask, what about us? I think when we recognize that truth, that Jesus is the Messiah? I think it's because that there is a part of God in us that recognizes it. That there is an inspired part of us that, that recognizes God, that recognizes truth, because we are just like Adam. When Adam has the breath of life breathed into him, so do we. We are alive. That's why Paul in Acts is able to say, in him we live and move and have our being. There is something of God within us. We are God-breathed, which means we are inspired. Christians talk about the sanctity of life all of the time, and I know those are buzzwords. I know those might raise your suspicion for a minute, but I think this is why. I think this is why we have the the ability to talk about the sanctity of life, because we recognize that in each of us is something of God. We don't work against that. And so if that is true, if we are God-breathed, if we are inspired, what do we do with that? It's a nice sentiment. It's nice to say, yeah, there's something of God in me. But what do you do with that? I think you ask two questions. And this is kind of where we're going to wrap up this morning. First question you ask is, what is God inspiring in you? What is God inspiring in me? We talked about how, how many of us in, in this church are, are pursuing foster care and adoption and those type of things. And I think maybe God is calling us to adopt a child. Maybe. Maybe God is calling us to help an old lady move. You know, maybe there's that opportunity in your life. Maybe God's calling us to become a foreign missionary. 
I know that one's, that one's a little tricky, but maybe that's the case. The difficulty comes in trying to figure out how do we know that this is from God, right? How can we know that these thoughts are inspired by God and not simply our own ideas? And, and so I, I've thought of this for a while, and I've come up with a couple of things that, that I think are really important. How can we know we are sensing inspiration and not something else? Like, how can we figure that out? And so the first way is to ask our Christian community. <laughs> There's this discipline of communal discernment, which is really, really important. If you're considering starting a new job that's going to, you know, have these positive effects on you and going to have these negative effects over here, I think that there's wisdom in the community and thinking through that together. If we are each personally God-breathed people, then hearing from each other is going to help us think through these things. If you have family issues that you're trying to work through, asking the Christian community, asking your brothers and sisters is going to help give you perspective on what it is that you should pursue. We see this in ministry all the time. Like recently, our, our church has gone through the process of deciding what direction we should go in in regards to our children. And so we've decided as a leadership team to pursue hiring a children's minister. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've hired Logan to pursue that because we recognize in her the capacity and ability to lead that type of ministry. I think that's important. The community decides these things. Whoever told Patrick that he should be a preacher years and years ago? Have you ever played the video game? This feels like an aside, it's not. Have you ever played the video game NBA Jam? Yeah? So there's this famous line in this in video game from the 90s called, he's on fire, right? You know that line? We'll pretend. Everybody knows that line. Patrick's preaching the last three or four weeks has been just inspired. Which, see, see what I did there? He's been on fire. It's been fantastic because the community discerned an ability there. Community discerned calling. On the other hand, sometimes the community's there to discern that maybe this isn't something that God has called you to. Uh, my mom thinks I have a great singing voice. I was given the opportunity to lead worship in Cisco, the town that I was in before this. And after leading worship that evening, I got up, I had practiced, I had done my best, and the guy that was in charge of that, this guy that I loved named Eris, came up to me put his arm around me and said, Jordan, you don't have to do that again. <laughs> because sometimes what we believe we are capable of, we are wrong. And that's one of the values of having Christian community. It's one of the values that having this communal discernment affords us. And so if we are trying to determine, is this of God or is this something of my own, the community's there to help us. We rely on each other. Second thing is this, and I think this is really important in light of some of the things I've said this morning. Scripture still has authority over us. We still believe in the authority of Scripture. I heard somebody in regards to the stuff going on in Charlottesville yesterday, which was just atrocious. I heard one of the white supremacist guys who was speaking to media he was holding up this sign, had all these Bible verses on it, 
And when they talked to him, he said, I was inspired by God to be here. And I think when we read scripture, we kind of have to bring that into question. You might think you're inspired by God, but this is not the God we know. This is not how our God acts. Read about a guy that attacked a Planned Parenthood and failed, but he attacked a Planned Parenthood uh, location and was going to bomb it and all this. And, And in his remarks before court, he says that I was inspired by God to do this. And we have to ask, when we read scripture, is this the God that we read about? Scripture still has authority over us. I've heard people say that they feel inspired to leave their spouse to pursue a relationship with this other person. And I have to ask, when you read Scripture, is that really where you land? If God is inspiring something within us, the community of God-breathed, inspired, spirit-filled people will affirm and not contradict our scriptures. If God is inspiring something within you, it will not go against what we know of God. So, that's how we kind of discern whether this is happening. So if you've discerned that God is inspiring you to do something, to feel something, to see something, to change something, to believe something, whatever the case may be, the question becomes, what will you do? How will you respond? I want to share with you just something that I've been experiencing over the last several years. I've sensed God inspiring me to do what I can to bridge the gap between white churches of Christ and black churches of Christ. I know that that is a difficult statement. I know that's a difficult concept for many of us. We we don't like to think of ourselves in terms of race, and I, I get that. But the reality of the situation is most of us are part of predominantly one culture and not both. And so Sundays can be one of the most segregated times of the week. And so I've asked many of you what to kind of think about this, how to think through this. What what is this going on within me? Like, why am I feeling this, this weight? And as I've talked to you, a lot of you have affirmed that within me, that this sense, this feeling It might be something that God is doing, and I appreciate that. Some of you have challenged the way that I word things, the way that I talk about this, and I think that's appropriate too, because there needs to be that. There needs to be dialogue. I need the Christian community not only to affirm what I'm doing, but to challenge what I'm doing so that I can more clearly see God. I've asked some of my Christian mentors, and they have have affirmed this feeling, this sense within me. I've read the scriptures and I read about the Jews and Gentiles coming together. You read the book of Galatians and and all of a sudden there's these two groups that are trying to figure this out. And and there's these Jews trying to make the Gentiles become Jews. And and Paul's saying, stop, just be together. Focus on Jesus. And I think, you know, if these people can overcome these differences in race, why are we so unable to do so? And so, thinking through that, thinking through what God is teaching me and what God is calling for me, I've come to the conclusion that we need to do something. So, at the end of October, we're co-hosting this this Twin Cities Discipleship Conference with 
with other area churches of Christ. And, and we're going to come together and encourage each other and work toward a better understanding of each other and, and greater cooperation with each other. And I, I honestly believe that God is calling me to help lead that. And I believe that because I've been through this process of discernment with you. And I've been through this process of discernment with Scripture. If God is doing that in me, what is God doing in you? How is God inspiring you? Is he inspiring you to do something? Is God inspiring you to see something? Is God inspiring you to change something, to pursue something, to grow in some wonderful way? I think we have an obligation as a church and as Christians to work toward figuring what that is and giving it our all. God has breathed life into us. Let us exhale with goodness of God. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together today. We thank you for this opportunity to worship together. We thank you for your breath and your life, which is within us. And God, we pray that we use this life to bring glory to you. God, help us to rely on one another to figure out what you are calling us to. Help us to be students of scripture who can discern whether this is, is of you or not. God, we trust you. We know that you are working for our good, and we pray that you be with us all. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You are dismissed.